This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America, brought to you through the cooperation of the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, and Link TV. And now, here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week, the United States isn't the only country with a hotly contested presidential race this year. We'll dive into the heated politics of Peru. But first, Natalie Odinger has our weekly review of news from around Latin America. The president of Brazil, Dilma Rousseff, declared war on the Zika virus this week during a nationally televised address. She ordered thousands of Brazilian troops and federal workers to head into neighborhoods this coming weekend to begin a nationwide mosquito eradication program. My government is engaged in this emergency. We will partner with the American government and with President Obama. We've had conversations about this. We will work together to improve our capacity to create a vaccine to fight the Zika virus as soon as possible. Currently, there is no medical protection against the Zika virus, and a vaccine could be at least three years away after the necessary research and tests. The symptoms of the virus include fever, rash, and joint pain, and only 20% of those with the virus show symptoms. But the virus has been linked to microcephaly, an illness that causes brain damage in newborns. Usually, Zika is spread by mosquitoes, but this week, officials in Texas revealed they are investigating at least one case where the virus may have been transmitted sexually. Brazil has reported an increase in microcephaly cases this past year, with researchers saying they think hundreds of such cases are linked to the Zika virus. Brazil isn't the only country asking the United States for help. Colombia's president, Juan Manuel Santos, paid a visit to U.S. President Barack Obama asking for help in ending Colombia's civil war, a conflict that has raged for more than 51 years. Obama pledged to ask for more aid for Colombia from the U.S. Congress to implement a peace deal. The Colombian government has negotiated with its main rebel opponent, the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, the FARC, for more than three years to find a resolution to the conflict. Both sides promise they can deliver a peace deal by late next month. Last month, the United Nations agreed to help monitor the peace in Colombia if a treaty is signed. Will a United Nations ruling mean the end of a long stay of Julian Assange in Ecuador's embassy in London? Assange, the founder of WikiLeaks, certainly hopes so. A human rights panel for the UN says British authorities have forced Assange into a condition of arbitrary detention that violates his human rights. Assange is held up in Ecuador's embassy because he feared British authorities would extradite him to Sweden, where he faces charges of rape. Assange has said he thinks Swedish authorities will in turn hand him over to the United States. Under Assange's direction, WikiLeaks has published hundreds of thousands of classified documents from the U.S. A court in Guatemala is grappling with sensational rape charges, charges that date back to the 1980s and the country's brutal civil war. Eleven indigenous women accused two former Guatemalan army officers of ordering their men to abuse the women while they were being held at an army base. The trial is the first such attempt to hold military officers accountable for using rape against the country's indigenous community. The women say they were forced to cook and clean for the soldiers after they had murdered their husbands. Most of the women say this abuse continued for only about a year, 
but a few say they were imprisoned and abused at the base for as long as 15 years, until the military closed the base in the late 1990s, after the war ended. Comedian George Carlin once famously said, Be careful who you befriend. Eventually, they'll ask you for something. Mexican actress Kate Del Castillo might be pondering that saying as she tries to defend her friendship with Joaquin El Chapo Shorty Guzman, Mexico's notorious drug lord and the leader of the Sinaloa cartel. Attorneys for Del Castillo filed legal documents this week to prevent the Mexican government from arresting the actress. The Mexican attorney general has said Del Castillo is under investigation for helping El Chapo launder money from some of his illicit operations. Mexican Marines returned El Chapo to prison last month after the drug lord's second sensational escape. For Latin Pulse, I'm Natalie Ottinger. Thanks, Natalie. We don't often get insights into the politics of Peru on this program, but this week we hope to change that trend a bit as we explore the presidential race in that country. Peruvians go to the polls in April to elect a new president, and currently there are at least 19 candidates running for that office. That includes two former presidents and the daughter of the country's former authoritarian president, Alberto Fujimori. Keiko Fujimori is the leader of the Fuerza Popular, or Popular Force Party. She's a former member of Peru's Congress, and she's the frontrunner in the crowded presidential field. We'll spend the rest of our program discussing the race and Peruvian politics with Moises Arce of the University of Missouri. He's the author of the book, Resource Extraction and Protest in Peru. He joined us via Skype from Columbia, Missouri. Well, the big story of this upcoming election, which is in April, um, is the daughter of Alberto Fujimori. Her name is Keiko Fujimori. Um, she has been consistently polling around 33, 35%. And, um, you know, this goes, this goes back to last year and even most recent polls. She's still number one. I guess with a degree of certainty, that she will be in the second round, which um, um, normally happens in Peru uh, when none of the candidates has a plurality of the votes. So Peru has had second uh, second rounds in, in 2011, uh, in 2006, and so forth. And the other story has to do with who gets to be number two. And the field there is basically being disputed by three or four candidates, and it changes by the week. So um, a lot of people who are following the elections are f not so much focusing on Keiko Fujimori, she's in a safe spot, but rather who is likely to be number two um, when the elections take place next April. When I look at this field of candidates, you mentioned Keiko Fujimori, the, the, the daughter of Alberto Fujimori, uh, who comes from uh, a bit of Peru's authoritarian past. Well, we also have Alan Garcia, uh, Alejandro Toledo, former presidents who, who would like to be back in the presidential position. And so uh, in some ways, uh, when I look at the field of candidates, I, I, it looks like a replay of the Peruvian past. Yes. So two, of, two former presidents, Garcia and Toledo, are also running for office. Um, and there's another candidate, Pedro Pablo Kuczynski. He goes by the name of Pepe K. Um, 
that um, is also running for office, but Pepeca was uh, finance minister um, for Toledo, right? So they're all they're all sort of like part of the same group, right? So there's there's basically the old faces, right? Um, and there's a couple of two other candidates. One of them is Acuna, and the other one is Guzman, that appear to be the new faces um, um, that we have not seen so far. Well, let let's start with Keiko Fujimori and. Does she represent the same thing that her her father represented, the more or less someone to bring order to the country, or does she have a, a different platform? It's a good question, but I guess here we have to go back to 2011, right? Because 2011 is the first time that she runs for president. And in 2011, uh, it was a very close election um, with Umala. Right, so um, both Umala and Keiko went to the runoff, and eventually Umala wins. Uyanto Umala, who is the current president of Peru. Yes, and and he cannot run for re-election. He can't. Um, you cannot. You cannot run for re-election. But what we know about Keiko is that uh, in 2011, right, one of the criticisms that people had against her was that she was too close to her father. She was too close to sort of like his father's authoritarian past. Um, she never made an effort to distance herself from Fujimori, um, from, if you want to call it, the, the, the legacy of corruption or the legacy of uh, authoritarian rule. And so she, she lost this election. She lost the 2011 election. But she will reemerge again in this most recent cycle, which is 2016 with a new face. So what we hear from Keiko today is that she has made an effort to distance herself from her from from his from his father. And at the same time we know that she has done a lot of if you want to call it uh, grassroots operations throughout Peru. And this has been sort of like an ongoing effort that goes back to 2011. Right? So when people are trying to explain you know, how is that she has remained in sort of like, you know, spot number one up until now. The explanation goes back to this grassroots operation, right, that um, um, she has invested a lot of resources and obviously has a network of supporters already that are, you know, folks who are ready to, to vote for her. Is she still pulling some of the same strings politically, though, as her father? Is this... this um this machinery that that uh, is working to elect her is it is it part of the grassroots operation that her father put in play in the 1980s? I think it's it, it, I will I will say that it's the is the sort of like the loyal supporters of Fujimori that are helping her um, in this sort of like grassroots operation, and that's sort of like a little bit of the uncertainty that people have. You know, hypothetically, say if she wins. Um, the presidency this year, you know, who is she likely to appoint as, you know, in her cabinet or close collaborators? Are, are they going to be new faces or are they going to be, if you want to call it the same political figures that were tied to her father about 10 years ago or so? There, there's some feeling of a split in Peru that, that among some, um, Alberto Fujimori is, represents a particular past that, that people 
enjoyed. Uh, certainly, he he fell because of corruption, but um, some look back at that as is a bit of a golden era in in Peru. Um, uh, some would say that they're they're wrong for having having that feeling, but that feeling exists, does it not? Yes. Well, I mean, the 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 context when you know Fujimori comes to power, I mean, is not is not pretty. You have an, an ongoing insurgency. Um, the, the economy is basically imploding, and Fujimori makes a correction, right? And um, um, he, Fujimori will be sort of like the country's um, um, author that moves the country to neoliberal policies or market policies um, that will bring, so to speak, foreign investment, among other things. And it will be the first period where all of a sudden Peru begins to see economic growth. And on the other side, you know, you have that insurgency threat that will lead, you know, to serious human violations, right? not just from the government, but also on the side of the insurgents, right? And that's sort of like, you know, it's there, it's part of the, sort of, so, to be, so to speak, the legacy of Fujimori. And, um, and Peruvians are basically torn by that. You know, do you recognize the successes or do you recognize the failures? You know, uh, how do you navigate that? And I should point out that the Shining Path guerrillas, the insurgents that you mentioned, the Maoist guerrillas were known as some of the most brutal guerrillas in, in all of Latin America and, and were known for their own massacres of villages. Uh, so, indeed, there is that, that particular view that that the Fujimori government is is the one that 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 put those guerrillas on the run. Um, since Alan Garcia is also here on the list, uh, and Alejandro Toledo, um, the Garcia administration being one that um, that some would say Fujimori rescued Peru from what what happened in the Garcia administration. Um, Garcia and Toledo um, at various times have been very unpopular uh, in their reigns as. As president in Peru, I, I I wonder, do either have a chance in this election? Um, I don't think so. I, I see um, sort of like a yearning for a new face, right? I think um, both Toledo and Garcia, um, they were not very popular. I mean, they were popular sort of like in the beginning of their terms in office, but they have multiple scandals. You know, they, they, they sort of like they didn't leave office with a lot of political capital. Right, um, um, but I have to say too that there's a lot, always a lot of surprises when it comes to elections in Peru. So uh, it's a bit risky for me to say that we shouldn't be looking at Toledo or Garcia because um, things happen, change very quickly in Peru, particularly when it comes uh, to elections. Well, before we move on completely from from the past, and, and since Fujimori is a name of the past, um, a little bit more please about Keiko Fujimori in that I, I wonder if she is more or less the Donald Trump of this particular election, that she can guarantee herself 25, 30, 35 percent of, of the electoral base, um, that she's known to make her own outrageous statements, um, and, and that seems to uh, not lose her support but gain her support. Not on this election. I feel like she has learned her mistakes from the previous election, which was 2011. Um, now she is, if you want to call it, a more seasoned politician. 
and she's avoiding, you know, mistakes. She, she, she um, I think she's, she knows where she wants to go. Part of the, if you want to call it, uh, what we don't know right now is basically um, that the field is very fragmented. So those other voters that are, you know, thinking about Toledo, Garcia, or Pepe Ka, right, where are those votes going to go? Right. So, so I think she's being careful because she knows that if this turns into a runoff, she, she's going to have to need some of those votes to win. Coming up, more analysis of the complex presidential race in Peru. Stay with us. Democracy is synonymous with independence. Independence is synonymous with emancipation. Emancipation is synonymous with sovereignty. Sovereignty is synonymous with superiority. Superiority is synonymous with arrogance. Arrogance is synonymous with domination. And domination is synonymous with dictatorship. Dictatorship always finds its way. Amnesty International. Learn. Indignate. Act. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. Now we rejoin our conversation about the Peruvian presidential race and frontrunner Keiko Fujimori with Moises Arce of the University of Missouri, who joined us via Skype from Columbia, Missouri. I, I wonder also about the, um, the ethnic complexity of, of the Peruvian electoral system in that uh, Fujimori is a name that is, comes from the Japanese Peruvian um, communities there. Um, there's certainly an Asian community, a Chinese Peruvian too in, in Peru. And, and certainly there's also indigenous voters to consider when we talk about Peru. So is she appealing strictly to a particular ethnic base and beyond? Um, or is it more complex than that? Yeah. No, I think a lot of Fujimori support draws, um, comes from sort of like the popular classes, right? So typically in Peru, talk about segments, you know, A, B, C, D, right? And so A, sort of like, you know, um, uh, upper middle class, and C and, C and D are sort of like the popular sectors. So a lot of her support is coming from those popular sectors. There's all, uh, if there's one thing that uh, we know about Fujimori, I'm talking about the father, is that uh, people will talk about how particularly during his government, right, he, he made an effort to, to reach those remote rural areas where, so to speak, the, the state was absent, right? So there's a lot of, a lot of support that um, is tied to Fujimori in a way is also, is drawn from those areas, right? Sort of like a, what people call El Peru Profundo, right? The, the unofficial Peru or the deep Peru Right, the, the the one that you don't see in the cities or or, or or in the capital city of Lima. Your book is about protest in Peru, and in protest is also all about political organization. And and so I wonder um, how much issues are actually going to be impactful to this particular election in Peru. Are there are there any issues other than perhaps the the pocketbook issues that that Fujimori would put on the plate for those lower class voters, those voters who don't make much money but are looking for a return to that that equitable style that her father had? Is there something more than that? Mining has been sort of like, um, I'm talking about the extraction of, of minerals, 
sort of the main driver of economic growth um, during the Toledo years and the Garcia years. And uh, the government is continuously looking um, to attract more foreign direct investment, right? Um, Garcia has the characterized Garcia as having this open door policy, right? So um, let's bring multinationals um, to extract this mineral, min extract this mineral wealth out of Peru. And there's been a lot of clashes with communities, um, you know, over issues related to land, water. Um, in other cases, it's been has been a, a, about the distribution of those, you know, mineral revenues. And there's a number of projects out there that are basically on the standby, right? That are waiting to see who the next president is going to be. So, for instance, one of them is Conga in Cajamarca. The other one is Tia Maria in, in Arequipa in southern Peru, right? Those are, you know, multi-billion dollar investments, um, whether it's Keiko or whether it's some other president, they will be eager, right, to start those projects, right? But right now the political climate is not conducive um, because of the, the, the unrest that is tied to some of those projects. So. Uh, the point here is that, um, particularly for these politicians, right, trying to promote or reignite economic growth in Peru is very important. And um, so there's always a discussion about, you know, what the what the country needs to do to continue attracting foreign investment. When we talk about foreign investment this spring, the Trans-Pacific Partnership will be on the docket, at least in the United States, for Congress to debate and and perhaps vote on um, this will be something that is happening in the midst of these Peruvian elections and so I wonder if any of these candidates are are trumpeting that the TPP the Trans-Pacific Partnership is is something about that foreign investment since Peru is is one of the cornerstone nations in that so um, we haven't mentioned this but if if you have to count like you know characterize all of these candidates, right? I think it would be safe to say that they are all, ideologically speaking, part of the center-right, right? So we, we in, and what it... Even Alan Garcia these yes. days? Yes. Um, the, the, the Alan Garcia that we saw in, in the recent election, uh, or, you know, from 2016 to 2011, right? I mean, some people would argue that, you know, um, he was promoting markets, pro promoting neoliberal policies. It was very a very different Alan Garcia that we saw in the 1980s when he was promoting stabilization, um, you know, bank nationalization, among other things. So all of these candidates are either this are centrist or they are center right, so to speak. Right. So, um, and this is actually, a, if you want to call it. Um, um, the impact of what Fujimori did in office, right? That there's, a, there's an emerging consensus, so to speak, that you know um, Peru needs to be open to investment, open to trade, right? And there's probably one or two candidates that are more on the left, but those are not the ones that are being discussed, so to speak, in on the media or they're not making, if you want to call it, uh, uh, front page material, at least at this point. And what about those two newer candidates that you mentioned, 
Cesar Acuna, who's a governor in La Libertad, and also Julio Guzman. Anything about their ideals or their um, campaign that is going to make them break through and challenge Fujimori? It's hard to tell. I mean, Acuna, sort of like, um, when I talk about candidates being in the second play, it's basically a statistical tie, right? So they may have 10%, 12% each, right? So we, we actually don't know who is number second, right? So Acuna has a background um, as a former governor. He also has uh, um, connections with a university. But for, for those, of who, those of who have been following Peruvian media, um, Acuna at this week, it started last week, that there's a big scandal because it turns out that um, his doc, it looks like his doctoral thesis was plagiarized. Right? So if you pick up a commercial or you pick up a, a La Republica, there's going to be some reference about you know, um, his doctoral thesis and this is something that he did in Madrid, Spain. And so he may be disqualified as a consequence of this. I, I guess people just don't know. Uh, we don't know this about uh, right now. And what about Guzman? Guzman is a new face. He's an economist. The, 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 the news about Guzman is that starting this week is that it, we have seen one poll where he put uh, that puts him in sort of like this statistical tie. And um, he has been making a lot of mistakes. Um, in the sense that, you know, he will make a statement today, he will be criticized, and then he will be, he will change his statement. I think we don't know a lot. It was, there's not a lot of information, so to speak, about Guzman um, in terms of organization, um, whether he will end up in second place or not. When you talk about an economist being president, then I immediately think about Toledo and and. And he, of course, as you mentioned, really does represent that that uh, that neoliberal market policies. Uh, um, some people saw him as as uh, a bit of a representative of the New York banks in Peru. Yes. So he, I know um, Guzman comes from um, La Católica in Peru. Um, they're all, in, in my view. You know, still talking about markets, you know, but maybe um, adding a, a human face or thinking a little bit more about redistribution. But none of them are using, um, if, it's, if you want to pull it, um, a more aggressive um, uh, calls. An, an example would be Umala, when he first ran for office, he talked about reversing the free trade agreement, the free trade agreement with the U.S., you know, getting rid of the DEA that sort of like, you know, um, uh, monitors the coca production in the country, among other things. So we're not seeing those radical, quote-unquote, um, um, uh, demands in this election, right? Everybody is making, if you want to call it, moderate statements within this framework of free market policies, um, neoliberalism. Well, as we get closer to April, perhaps we will have a clearer view. So thank you very much, Professor Moises Arce of the University of Missouri, the author of Resource Extraction and Protest in Peru, our guest today on Latin Pulse. Join us from Columbia, Missouri via Skype. Thank you very much. Amigo, 
And just a footnote in case you're wondering, former President Alberto Fujimori remains imprisoned in Peru. He has at least 16 years left on his sentence for human rights abuses, corruption, and other charges. He currently suffers from cancer. Although his family has requested a pardon, Peru's current president has not acted on that request. The former president is 77 years old. Thanks for joining us for our program about Peru and its presidential race. If you'd like to send us your suggestions or comments, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. If you're looking for earlier editions of Latin Pulse, we're available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and Henty Flow. Latin Pulse is also now available through the website Latin America Goes Global. You can find that website at Latin America Goes Global, written as all one word, dot O-R-G. And as always, you can find us in the Brazilian online game, Minimundos. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, dot O-R-G, and then slash Latin dash pulse. That's www.linktv.org slash Latin dash pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse for our entire team, associate producer Natalie Oninger and technical director Jim Singer. I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchenos otra vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced at the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, with music copyright support through Webster University and Link TV. This program is copyright 2016 Las Rocas Productions.